0: Uh, When I was researching this whole thing out on uh, major objections to the faith and kind of running through some different sites, some uh, internet sites, I came across one that was built for the specific purpose of being critical of church and uh, of the faith. And in all honesty, it's good to read these things, especially if you're in church and you're a Christian and you consider yourself a Christ follower, it's kind of good to get that perspective because it's like I said a few weeks ago, we have this perspective of our life. Others have this perspective. Then there's another perspective over here. And for those of us following Jesus, the whole reason we're left here on this earth is to see others come along and follow Christ as well. And so it's kind of imperative. It's important we get a bit of a view of what others see and, and what they think of us. And uh, this webpage, hear the words off of this webpage. I, I thought it was succinct and uh, it, you, won't, uh, you won't have a hard time in interpreting this. Christians, they love to talk about how loving, dutiful, and compassionate they are. Yet I have yet to meet one who does not practice hypocrisy to the highest degree. Their willful ignorance of the Bible combined with their two-faced idealism to preach it has made us sick, hasn't it? For nearly 2,000 years, Biblicists have been lecturing people on the importance of adhering to the Bible's teachings on ethics, manners, and morality. They quote Jesus and Paul profusely with a liberal sprinkling of Old Testament moralism. The problem with their approach lies not only in an oft-noted failure to practice what they preach but an equally pronounced tendency to ignore what the Bible itself preaches. Christians practice what can only be described as, quote, selective morality. What they like, they cling to and shove down others' throats. What they don't like, they ignore vehemently. That which is palatable and acceptable is supposedly applicable to all, while that which is obnoxious, inconvenient, or self-denying is only applicable to those addressed 2,000 years ago. Their hypocrisy is so rampant that even the validity of calling oneself Christian is in question. Ouch. Woo. Any of you guys kind of just go, "Mmm, that's tough. Now, what's your first, oh, great church members, oh, great, wonderful church members, faithful church members at the Vineyard? What is your first reaction to that uh, stream of consciousness, there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like that. Yeah, what's he talking about? I don't know what world he's in. What are some other things? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> asking him for grace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then sometimes what we do is we immediately go on the attack, don't we? I mean, like the first thing we want to do is, yeah, well, you know, and we'll go back. I, I, I think there are some valid, you know, there's some valid concerns when it comes to we followers of Christ and what we may appear to be or maybe even what we are. And so for those of you who are here, you're a skeptic, you're checking things out, I I just want you to know you're welcome here. I really appreciate you coming, coming out to the vineyard and I want you to invite your friends to come out to the vineyard, all your skeptical friends every one of them that doubt and, and those who have questions and and maybe don't even like what you've seen in Christianity or in church, I would love for you to bring your friends. Let's talk. Let's get together. Let's dialogue. Let's look at this. For the last five, four weeks, we have looked at different from science to all kind of things and uh, those those stumbling blocks, those things that keep people from listening to us when we share about Christ. And Other than pain, which I talked about last week, the problem with pain, this is probably the second biggest one. Is Not only if God is so good, why is there so much pain in this world? Why doesn't he do something about it? That's probably number one. But the second complaint is, gosh, you know, I haven't seen anything out of you guys. I haven't seen anything out of the church that even would tell me or compel me to even consider what you guys say is true. And uh, so we want to talk about that. You know, I got two challenges today, and you guys can pray for me, because in one, on one side, I really want to, I, I want to talk honestly with people who are struggling with this. And on the other side, for us, for those of us who are Christians and those of us who are following Christ, I really want us to maybe take down some barriers this morning and be able to look at our own hearts and go, okay, God, if there's any of this stuff in me, show it to me. If there's any hypocrisy in me, let me see it so I can go to you and I can repent of it and you can help me with this. One of the definitions for hypocrisy is claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not contain. Pretense. comes from the Greek word that means to wear a mask. And you saw that in the bumper video a minute ago. You put a mask on. I'm really different than what's behind this mask. I say this, but this is the way I am behind this mask. And that's where the word hypocrisy comes from. Another probably uh, more accurate, I'd say, definition for today, uh, this culture is that, that uh, it's inauthentic, that we're an inauthentic people, that we're unwilling to admit that we are not really who we say we are. We're frauds, imposters. And we don't have the goods. And another part of that is that we're unwilling to admit that we struggle. We're we're unwilling to admit that we just aren't there yet. But we sure are willing to tell others they aren't there yet. (laughs) And so there's this disconnect, this gap between those of us who want to love the world the way Jesus loved the world and gave himself for it. And we want to love the world. We want to show Christ's love to others in this the way we are, before people. One of the things that are thrown up in front of those of us who are church people or Christians, people bring up things like the Crusades, you know. Somebody mentioned on my Facebook page yesterday, they said, oh man, Constantine and the Puritans killed a lot more people, you know, trying to make uh, people become Christians than anybody else did. And, uh, I don't know about the Puritans, I haven't studied that, but Constantine, you know, that whole, around 500 A.D., I think he was just a political opportunist, is what I think. I think Constantine simply saw a cross in the sky, thought, hey, here's my way to get everybody to rally around me, the whole Catholic Church, everybody, and get them on board. You know, not everybody that says they know God does. You know that, don't you? You know that. Not everybody that says, I am this, is necessarily that. Just like there are witch doctors, there are real doctors. Not everyone that proclaims to be something is that particular thing. And in the Crusades, I've, I've read numbers that are like way out of bounds as far as, you see movies, you know, you see hundreds of thousands of people on these movies when, you know, there were probably 10, 20,000 of people that were gathered. And that, the whole Crusade thing, no, it, it shouldn't have been right, but it really had not, it didn't have much to do with faith in Christ, it had to do with keeping people out of the Holy Land, Christian pilgrims who wanted to get to Jerusalem. And then the Muslims took it, and then at uh, what, 1017 or so, they killed 30,000 uh, soldiers, Christian soldiers. And so the Pope declared war, started sending in soldiers, and there we went for what, 70, 80 years. We went through this battle to try to get Jerusalem back. And so people go back and they say, see, you tried to make the Muslims believe. Well, that's not what that was about. It was about about business because there there was a lot of business going on on that thoroughfare getting to Jerusalem. It was about the freedom of getting people to Jerusalem to worship. And so, you know, you have to do your homework sometimes when you get this. And to to my friends who are skeptics, I would just say, do your homework. Do your homework. Here's a great little book. It's so easy to read. Uh, this is a book called The Rise of Christianity by a guy named Rodney Stark. And Rodney, uh, I wouldn't say, especially prior to this, some of his other works, w- was necessarily pro Christian, a pro Christian uh, sociologist at all. I would just say that he's documenting things and he's doing research. Read books like this, you know, read books who give you a good picture of history of what the church was like early on before you kind of indict the whole of Christendom you know, into like, man, I want a bunch of hypocrites. I, I just want to read just a couple of uh, couple of things here. And this is from 260 A.D., okay, within a couple of hundred years uh, of Christ being here and the church just getting up out of the ground and, and going. This is the description by Dionysius of maybe the way the Christians behaved in those early years, those first few centuries of the church. Most of our, and this has to do, by the way, with plagues if you know anything about history, you know plagues swept through the world at times and they had no medicine. They didn't know about bacteria. There was no soap in those early couple of hundred years and so there was no way to cleanse hands and to do the work. with. And so plagues would sweep through these villages and sometimes wipe out all of a whole city in a village. But when the, Christ- when the church was birthed, and around, right around 100 A.D., 120 A.D., at that period of time, as that small group, probably less than five, 6,000 people at that time together, as they began, began to come on the scene, they began to show the love of God in some pretty powerful ways to their culture. And so here's just, here's just one historical account. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of presbyters, Deacons and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. They put their cells there with the sick pagans. The Christians would go when the pagans were dying and sick and put themselves in the line of fire, take the diseases on themselves so that somebody that loved them would be with them while they died. That's our heritage, church. That's the kind of people that forged this thing that we call the Christian church. The heathen, Dionysius goes on, behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them in the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. The early Christian church was the group that showed up on the scene and took care of the sick. When the bodies were thrown out in the streets, it was the early Christians that picked those bodies up, took them, buried them, and even took care of the the cemeteries where they were buried. Abortion and infanticide was just rampant during these first four or 500 years of the church's life. If you were a young, a baby girl, a lot of baby girls were thrown out on the street when they were born just to die. There's a letter in this book from a father who is off on a trip. He writes his wife and he says, I, "You know, I love you and when the baby is born, if it is a boy, take care of it, give it this name. If it is a girl, put it outside and leave it. The Christian church would come along, see these little baby girls on the side of the road, pick them up, this is the early church, pick them up and take them into their homes and raise them. Care for them. There were so many botched abortions and all during this time, and the Christians didn't believe in infanticide or abortion, these early Christians. And so many botched abortions, they would either take the women and throw them out on the side of the road, or the, uh, the aborted babies that were still alive. The Christians would go through the road, look for these bodies, take them into their home, nurse them, care for them, and show them love. That's our heritage. That's the early church. You know, sometimes you got to get back to the beginning to see what it was really like. It's when I used to do surveying back when the dinosaurs were on the earth, it was like, you know, they taught us that if you start with that much error, by the time you close and you come back around, you'll be off by three feet. Little error builds upon error, builds upon error. So you have to go back to the original and take a look and see what was it like when this faith was fresh and when it was so much a part of people's lives. That's the way it was. And so my dear skeptic friends, I just want to appeal to you. Yeah, we're not where we should be. (laughs) All of us. In our lives as far as living for Christ. But I want you to know the church has for 2,000 years now really been there when people had need. Putting their own lives on the line. And so, don't, don't judge Christ and don't judge Christianity by the failures of a few or even a mi- or many like the Crusades or, or other things like this. James 1.27 describes what this life of following Jesus should be like when he says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's purity of our faith. And that sounds much more like the people I just mentioned in this book than it does maybe some of the other things that people want to quote or that website that just kind of rants at us. Friends come up to you and they say when you're sharing Christ or you're inviting them to church or you want to talk about your faith with them and they would say, you know, there's nothing but, or the church is full of hypocrites. That's all that's there. You know, how could I ever even consider you're Jesus because of all the hypocrites? A good response to that comment is, you know what? You're in good company because Jesus said the same thing. <laughs> you're probably closer to Jesus than you realize even right now by saying that. If you got your Bibles, turn over to Matthew 23 and verse 13. Matthew 23, verse 13 through 39. Let's just read some of this. Woe to you, now woe, not W-H-O-A, even though, probably need to, whoa, hold up, read this, but it's like doom and gloom on you, you know, woe, woe is you, you know. Woe to you, preachers, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now this is lovely Jesus speaking, peaceful, nice, and kind Jesus. Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Gentle Jesus, what is going on? Wow. Wow. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. Without neglecting the former, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Gentle Jesus, what? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! "'You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, "'but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. "'In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, "'but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! "'You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous.' And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Lord, we pray for your help this morning as we look at a, wow, God, you just really got in people's face. I just want to say, Lord, I'm impressed and humbled by reading this. And I thank you that you're clear. And we ask for your help this morning. We, your church, God, we ask that you would peel back the veneer of our own, Lord, hypocrisy and maybe that shakiness that we have in our own faith or our pride that we have that always wants to exert itself anytime someone challenges something in our faith that has to do with our faith. Lord, we pray for humility this morning. We ask you to give us the gift of repentance as a church this morning. That you help us, Lord. And Lord, I pray for the skeptics and those among us who have been hurt by your church, who have questions and though they feel a pull from you, they struggle with this whole issue of the church not being what it should be. I pray, Lord, for your grace and your mercy today to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, Jesus, man. Gentle Jesus. Ever heard the Holy Spirit's always a gentleman? Jesus is always so gentle, unless it has to deal with religiosity. Then he really kind of gets upset. He does. You've got a handout, a fill-in in your handout, I should say, of six... Things I want to uh, try to point out that we might learn from Jesus this morning as far as helping us combat hypocrisy. So let's just take a little bit of the pressure off this morning and let's start this meeting with, Hi, my name is Tim, and I'm a hypocrite. Hi, Tim. Okay, thank you. All right, just want to make sure I'm in the right place here. In verse 13 and 23, 13. Jesus says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Man, is there not anything worse to be accused of of, than someone approaches that threshold to step into faith and we slam the door in their face? I mean, who wants to do that? We don't want to do that as a church, do we? We don't want to do that as people who love people and care your first fill in there is simply this is the way I've stated this. I'm kind of simplifying it, but maybe one way we can combat hypocrisy in our lives is we can make this life about Jesus. And make it about Jesus, not about us, but make it about Jesus. The Pharisees were making it about themselves, about who they were, how holy they were, how great they were, how perfect they were, how everything they did was just right, and everybody should be doing it their, their way. And in the process, the door was slammed in their face when our friends point these things out to us uh, it's kind of like having a mirror put in front of your face any of you guys got one of these mirrors at home that is so magnified it scares you when you look in it i mean it's almost like 3d you put it in front of your face and you go no that can't be me no as you see 40 foot like chasms that go down and every blemish and you know moon rock and everything else that's on there and But friends who come to us, friends who come to us many times that we have uh, friendships with who are not of the faith yet, and they begin to criticize. Many times that could be a mirror that's being thrown up in front of our face and one that shouldn't be shoved away, but one that we should probably take a deep breath and go, is that me? Kind of take a look and just look in there and, and see. And then go, well, I really don't want you to look at me. Can I? Can I get you over to Jesus? Can I? Because Jesus said the same thing about hypocrisy. It made him sick. He didn't like it either. To, to, can we get to Jesus? Can we? Matter of fact, when you're talking with people about faith, get them to Jesus as quick as you can. If, they, if they're talking about evolution, and we talked about that in the first, you know, the first of this series, if they're talking science. If they're talking all these other things, the quicker you can get people to Christ to talk about Jesus, the better off. They will be and you will be. Let's make it about Jesus. Get them to Jesus as quick as we can. And I know this is no excuse for bad behavior. You know, Christians acting badly. That probably is a good phrase. We're all in process. We started this walk. Just for those of you who haven't started walking with Christ yet, I want you to know that when we start this walk, God does begin to work in us. And we begin to change, but it's a process. It's a thing called, you know, called sanctification in the Bible. That's what the theologians called it. It's as God begins to separate out of us and take out of us the things that have caused us to live the way that he didn't want us to live, the, the hypocrisy in our life is one. And so God starts working on us through his Holy Spirit to make us authentic human beings, not inauthentic human beings. But listen, in all honesty, we're all human. Every one of us. And the minute we stop actually being authentic humans is the minute we put the hypocrisy mask on. When we start thinking we're not human anymore, we're more than that, then we get in trouble immediately. And that's when we have to be something that we're not. Better to let God work his slow work in us and let's become what is on the outside. And so let's make it about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus in the 15th verse. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Wow. Man, Jesus. That's strong. Isn't that strong? Your second fill-in, let's make disciples for Jesus, not disciples for Tim, not disciples for the vineyard, not disciples for your ministry, not disciples for this, for that. Let's make disciples of Jesus and for Jesus. Ruth Bell Graham was asked one time, that's Billy Graham's, uh, was Billy Graham's wife, and she was asked one time by a young college student from India. She said, we of India would like to believe in Christ but we have never seen a Christian who was like Christ. And Ruth didn't know how to answer that question, so she asked an expert, uh, Dr. Akbar Abdul-Haq, how she might respond, and he told Ruth this. He said, I would say this. I am not offering you Christians. I am offering you Christ. I am not offering you Christians. I am offering you Christ. And Jesus told the religious leaders when you go after people to make them your disciples, you turn them into twice the child of hell that you are. Wow, so let's don't do that. Let's, maybe we'd have a better, maybe a better shot at sharing our faith if we talk to people about Jesus and that we make disciples for Jesus and of Jesus. Col- Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore is God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And if we can respond like that to people, to doubters, instead of being so defensive, maybe we'll have a better opportunity of reflecting Jesus to them as well. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So we make life more about jesus we make disciples for jesus and your third one from verse 16 what are you blind gods you say if anyone swears by the temple and he goes through this elaborate how the pharisees would just i'm not even going to read it again but it's so elaborate like they there's one thing that's good and then the pharisees take it and they even make it more religious uh it's just amazing how complicated we can make things can't we and this whole walk of following Jesus. Maybe we, this is your third fill-in, could stop playing some religious games. Stop playing religious games with people. Pharisees were great at nuancing every little thing. They didn't just take the Hebrew Bible or the laws from, you know, they didn't just take those laws. They added to them. I mean, and they would add to them and make it more complicated and more complicated over and over again until it just became, people would give up. They were like, I can never be like this. I can never do this. I can never be a... You know, I could never be a follower. I couldn't do it, which made the Pharisees feel even more elite, right? Because we're few. and We set the rules. And since we set the rules, you know, and we're few. We're the holiest among all of them. And they played these religious games with people. Gold and the gold sacred or is the temple sacred. Swears by the altar. I mean, all this complicated stuff. Just stop playing religious games when people talk to us about, is there a God? Tell me about your faith. Instead of going through, jumping, making people jump through hoops, maybe we can just stop the religious games. If you do this, if you do that, if you do this, if you do that, 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 get them to Jesus. Get them to Jesus. In 20, verse 23 Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now we'd like, some of us like to stop right there. It's like, hey, I don't have to tithe. Woo. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel, your fourth fill in there is maybe we could stop majoring on the minors. Quit majoring on minor issues with people when we taught them. When they ask about these minor issues, things that we have convictions about and they're struggling with faith and we want to go into detail about you have to do this, you have to do that, bang, 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 bang. Do we really want to make it more complicated or harder than Jesus made it? Really? Do we really want to make it tougher than leave your boats and follow me? Do we want to make it tougher than Hey, you should love everyone the same way you love your family. That's pretty tough, right? That's the life Christ calls us to. Do we want to make it tougher than that? Do we want to add to what Jesus has already called us to be like? No, we don't want to do that. We want to stop majoring on the minor issues. These guys were so, I mean, so religious that I asked the first service, I said, what's the smallest spice? And I, the answer I got was... It's like everybody had, everybody had a spice. What, what's the smallest spice in your cupboard? Salt? Okay, that's pretty. Let's take salt. These guys were so legalistic, they would take their salt shaker at home, dump it out on the table, and count every single grain of salt. Every single grain. Then they would say, you have to tithe. So I'm going to take that 10% of that grain and I'll shoot it over here. And then when they made disciples, they would go to their disciples and go, you have to go home, take all your spices out of the cabinet and you have to give 10%. If you don't, no, you're not going to be a part of us. You're not a part of of what we're doing here. It's just majoring on minor issues. I mean, Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free to give. Not put us in bondage to give. Free to give. You don't have to give 10%. You're free to give 20%. Get it? You're free. Matter of fact, you don't have to do anything. That's another thing I think we need to understand. No matter what we try to leverage people and get people to do things, unless our heart is changed and we have an affection for something, we don't have to do anything or we, we resent people forcing us to do it. Jesus came to set us free so that we give with loving hearts, generous, benevolent, not just our money but our lives like we saw in those first few hundred years of the church's life where they would give their life just to be with a pagan that was dying. Can you imagine that? The neighbor is dying from some plague. You look at your family and you go, I'm going over to be with them. I may bring them back to be with us. And they look at each other and you you go, wait a minute, if you bring them back, we're all going to die. We may all get it. And they look at each other and go, it's what Jesus did for us. It's what Jesus did for us. So they get up and they walk across the street and they grab the sick, the infirm, and they take them back to their homes. They bring them in and they love them until they pass. Now some, some survived. Another statistic in this book is that even without medicine during that period of time, now get this statistic, someone who is given love and is nursed with love and affection, it increased their survival by 75%. Without medicine, 75%. The church holds an incredible amount of power within its hands, within its heart. But yet we want to talk about minor issues instead of putting ourselves out there, and that's the hypocrisy that many people see in our lives. And Jesus uses this great metaphor of straining at a gnat. Then it's a great picture: straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. See what the Pharisees did was they would take a piece of cloth to strain out the noceums and the gnats uh, when they drank their wine. They would put it across the and they would pour the wine in, and that would strain the gnat out. Well, the gnat is the smallest unclean insect there was on their list of what you couldn't eat. And Jesus says, yeah, you go to all that trouble to strain the gnat out, and you swallow the largest unclean animal, which is a camel. What a picture. Now, that you know, we don't get that metaphor as much as they did. But you can believe me, they got it. They got it the minute he said it. And when we start dealing with minor issues and we're so picky about letting people, allowing people into our group, into our church because of minor issues, what we do is we start straining at gnats and we start swallowing camels. And it slams the door in people's faces. If we're a merciful people, like he said, we will reflect the love of God. If we're a just people, we will care about those who have been treated unjustly. If we are a faithful people, we'll be drawn to follow Christ and follow him passionately, and we'll be faithful in all the things that Christ has called us to, do, but it'll come out of a heart of compassion and mercy and justice. The fifth one there from verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean and he goes on and saying the same thing it's like hey, it's got to begin on the inside something has to change in here we live life from the inside out not from the outside in we don't come into a club meeting in here on Sundays or during the week in our small groups and then we get past this list of things it takes to be a part of the club And so I do this, 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 and this. And that's the outside. And I look like this, 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 and this. And if I do all of these things, then I look like I'm part of the club. You get this? That's outside. Jesus comes along and says, you should be living from the inside out. And that is, there should be something working on the inside of your life that does cause change on the outside. But you don't work from the outside in. You work from the inside out. That's why church is messy. You get this? A church that isn't messy is just not doing it right. I mean, we should have, you know, our stalls should be full with poop. I mean, it's, you know, it's a proverb. I mean, I'm just quoting the Bible. I told you it was PG-13. So, kids, that's why we have a good children's church. So, you take the kids out because the Bible is like PG-13. So, you never know. But you know what? It's messy because people are at different places in their life. They're learning to live from the inside out. So we come in. We've got all kind of stuff going on in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you, in your body. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, He comes to live. And then from Ezekiel, we know that He comes and He begins to move us. The promise was that one day, God would come in such a way that it would no longer be on the outside; it would be on the inside. And then God would move us to obey. We would have conviction as we followed him. Suddenly the things that didn't bother us a long time ago now bother us. Because it's not the best. It's not the way God designed us. And so suddenly we don't understand why we, we feel so bad about doing certain, certain things. Whereas before we got by with it. It's like David, you know, we, a few weeks ago we, we look at people who aren't following Jesus and they don't have any conscience hardly. They get by with all kind of stuff, and you go, darn it, why can't I get by with that anymore? Because God is changing you from the inside out. You're having your own personal convictions as God works on you and massages you and works your heart into a position, and then suddenly things begin to change on the outside. You love your wife, your husband differently than you did before. You're quick to repent, whereas before, it was always her fault. And now you don't know what's happening to me. I just told her I was sorry. It's because there's something going on inside of you working from the inside out. Pharisees, religious people only care about the outside. Do we look like that? This is more about being and becoming. And we have a lot better chance of not being too much of a hypocrite if we live from the inside show forth the mercy of God those first Christians in this same book The Rise of Christianity uh, he mentions, Stark says this Christian values of love and charity had from the beginning been translated into norms of social service and community solidarity when disaster struck the Christians were better able to cope that's in the ancient world too Better able to cope. And Tertullian, one of the historians from those early days, says this about the church. It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. Wow. Living life from the inside out where it is indeed a conviction to love one another. And to take care of those who need to be taken care of. And lastly, verses 29 and 32. What are you? Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. See, see how complicated it gets? Oh, let's go decorate a grave. I mean, and we lose the simplicity. Suddenly it becomes about what you look like and... All of this kind of stuff and we lose the simplicity of the gospel. Your last one is let's learn to live within the simplicity of the gospel. Christianity was never meant to be complicated. It's a simple faith. If Jesus is who he said he was, the one and only true son of God who came here and lived a perfect life and went to the cross for my sin, for your sin, so that we could be reconciled with our father and justified before a holy and perfect God by his blood, by his righteousness, and that is imputed to me and I can stand before my father now clean. I don't know what else I need to add to that. I don't want to complicate that, do you? That is like the best news in the world. That is the simplicity of the gospel and out of that comes this power through the Holy Spirit to change us. Let's keep it simple. What's that? KISS. Let's keep it simple, saints. Okay. Let's keep it simple, saints. And he goes on and he talks about judging the prophets. And, you know, if that was me, I mean, to me, this is like us judging other churches or we want to put down other people because, you know, oh, you know, I would do that different, all of these things, and complicating what it means. And then our friends whom we're trying to share Jesus with are looking at us and going, man, why would I ever want to be a part of that? Why? Why? Back when this thing, this whole exchange with Jesus began in chapter twenty-three, Jesus told them to be careful to be obedient. But he said, you know, do what they say, just don't do what they do. Ever, ever told your kids that? I just be all saying, well, just do what I tell you. Well, you don't do it. Well, don't do. You know, just do what I say. Don't do what I do. And uh, Jesus said, you know, told his disciples, hey. You know what, they're the religious leaders, so do what they say, just don't behave like they do. Don't behave the way they do. And then he said, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. I mean, what did Jesus come for? Why did he come? He came to set the captives free. All you who are heavy laden and burdened, come to me. You will find what, more burdens? You will find rest. Rest you'll find rest and peace. And he says, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them. This is back in the first of chapter 23 there. Everything they do is done for people to see. Verse 5. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And, you know, they'd take these little boxes and they'd wrap it around their arm just, and there'd be a little box here with scripture on it. And uh, they would carry it to like, you know, on their arms so that it would be close to the heart. So scripture, I mean, it sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, scripture is close to the heart. So they would have these boxes and close to the heart and then on the forehead. And I think, man, what a beautiful, we want the scripture. We want to think about it. We want to memorize it. We want it in our heart as well. So they wear these little boxes. But Jesus goes, the only reason you do that is to show off how spiritual you are. I walked into a meeting with David Wilkerson. Anybody remember him? David Wilkerson, I mean, back in the day, he was, he was strong. You know, but I walked into a meeting, and the only Bible I had was about that thick, and the first words out of his mouth was, you religious people with your giant Bibles. Like, oh, yeah, I just happen to have my pocket New Testament here somewhere. You know? and Jesus says, you know, it's not about the show. It's about the people. It's about seeing people Free. Free.